0: Hello, you're listening to episode 8 of Miradas, a podcast on current affairs and culture in Latin America. I'm your co-host Laurie Blair, hope this finds you safe and well. Uh, We're pleased to be back after a couple of months hiatus with some new episodes featuring some fantastic interviewees. This week we have Yolanda Kakabatsi, who is one of Latin America's and indeed the world's leading environmentalists. Uh, She's a former president of the Worldwide Fund for Nature, the WWF, uh, and a former environment minister uh, in Ecuador. When we spoke in April, coronavirus was hitting that country particularly hard, Um, so Yolanda shared some reflections on on what it's like to to live through that. Um, We also discussed the relationship between conservation and pandemics like this one, how Ecuador's small-scale farmers have been coming to the rescue of its cities, and whether this moment of global crisis might contain the seeds of a greener and fairer future. Um, Despite everything, I found it to be a really um, uplifting conversation, so have a listen, let us know what you think, and you'll be hearing from John at the end. Bye for now. So I'm joined down the line from Ecuador by Yolanda Kakakabatsi. Yolanda, first of all, perhaps you could just tell us what the situation is like in Ecuador right now. Are you in Quito at the moment?
1: I am in uh, Quito. And um, as you have probably seen in mass media and heard, um, the situation in Ecuador has not been good. Like many other countries around the world, we were not ready. But in addition, I would say there are two factors that need to be considered. One Mm. is that uh, we are going through a terrible economic crisis before this pandemic. And that has made it very difficult for anybody um, in Ecuador to react immediately putting funding forward for uh, dealing with the emergency Mm -hmm. but in addition to that Ecuador is going through a process of great political confrontation between the present government and the party that led the previous government that's Rafael Correa and his party Mm -hmm. that have aggravated um, the perception of what's going on in Ecuador by creating lots of fake news, Uh, fake news illustrated by videos and photos of crises anywhere else in the world in the last 20 years. Mm. And so presenting that um, information that gives the perception that things are terrible, things are bad anyway. That not as bad as they are illustrated by this uh, uh, political campaign to legitimise the present government. Mm.
0: It's it, it's curious because you know on the one hand yes. the, the, the uh, to just just to just to mention you know some of the the figures that uh, you know I, I've been seeing suggest that we we've had about seven thousand people uh who died in the first two weeks of April in in Guayas province which is obviously home to Guayaquil kind of the, the the uh epicenter of the crisis and and that's about you know 6000 more than usually die in in the first half of April so so the crisis yeah. does does seem to be very serious so so it's it's it seems strange there are people who are trying to you know make it seem even even worse you know surely the the, the evidence there is 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 yeah. is plain uh, to see
1: uh, I agree with you the the situation is bad um I wouldn't trust all the numbers that you see because even uh serious uh, media have been um, addressing numbers and, and figures that do not reflect the reality mm-hmm. that uh, that have taken this fake news is, is uh, they have validated this fake news So at this moment, I would prefer not to give you um, numbers, Mm. uh, but to question that not everything that we see is a reality, accepting that we are going through a very tough uh, moment where the number of dead uh, bodies in in all of Ecuador, especially in Guayaquil, have been um, much higher than we would have liked.
0: Certainly, and, and you know, seeing those images of you know, cardboard coffins being handed out and, and you know, morgues being, being full, it, it, obviously, that's a serious kind of situation. Um, yeah. perhaps... If
1: you just think that uh, only 20% of the mort- of the mortuary places have been working because the rest have closed down, that creates in itself a very serious problem for the dead. And then, and then considering that there are in Guayaquil only about 200 dead every um, a, a, every day, then uh, having 100 more is mm. is just um, bad enough.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's shocking. And, and obviously the point you make there about exact numbers, you know, Ecuador's not alone in, in that. You know, that's a regional and indeed a global phenomenon here in the UK. We, we don't know the full numbers because exactly. care, care exactly. homes Sorry. aren't being counted or, or xyz um and i
1: don't, i prefer not to fall into the trap of providing numbers of because that is always taken out of context
0: of course i mean you know i i wonder what it must feel like for you as someone who's obviously worked um you know for several decades in in conservation in in sustainability um Obviously, as president of the WWF, and and also as Ecuador's environment minister, um, my understanding is that pandemics like the coronavirus are, are linked to deforestation, are linked to uh, habitat loss, um, and we and we might well see more of these in the future um, as these trends or unless these trends are uh, are arrested. Um, you know, it, it must be quite quite sad for you to to, to see that these warnings have not perhaps been responded to quickly enough, you know, that, that there have been people like yourself who've been sounding the alarm on, on, on these issues for a long time and, 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 you know, perhaps not, not enough as it has, has been done quickly enough.
1: That's right. Um, I don't know if you saw an article by um, Manuel Pulgar, uh, who says um, it's, it's terrible that we have to go through a pandemic to understand the, how deteriorated the planet is, and, and following his line, um, recognizing that what we have been preaching for the last, I don't know, 50 years, in my case for 30 years, that mm. health of the environment is is equal to health of the, um, the human society, that we have not been able to change the mindset of decision-makers, of policy-makers during these last decades, is painful. It's painful, but it also forces us to recognize several um, mistakes, I would say, or weaknesses in, in the environmental sector. Uh, we have not been working close enough to decision-makers. Very often, science has not been delivered in a language that is un- understandable by by policymakers. Very often, we tend to provide information in scientific language that many of us cannot understand and i'm always, always a victim of that because not being a scientist i I need to have those messages delivered in very clear language that can be understood by anybody walking down the street. Mm. And, and that has not been the trend anywhere. It doesn't matter whether it is in industrialized countries or in developing countries. Uh, the, the scientific community, academia, has been quite distant from uh, policymakers. And that needs to be corrected immediately. It also needs to be corrected by by the environmental community in uh, uh, building bridges with all the other sectors and not being in a radical position of um, black and white, yes or no. There are always uh, ways of, I would say, negotiating uh, proposals in ways that, um, that, that they can be implemented not in one day because that is impossible. Mm. But giving ourselves timeframes for, for change, that is absolutely necessary for the recuperation of, uh, of habitats, of degraded lands, of uh, protecting forests and protecting, protected areas that have a purpose. And, and that purpose is is not understood by um, by those leaders that we need on our side, and uh, present at the same time a challenge. How are we going to make that change in uh, building relationships with all the other sectors?
0: I, I I I think that's that's a really interesting you know um, perspective there. The the sense that you know, the issues aren't cutting through, they're not being communicated, um, perhaps effectively as they should be. And I, I I would add there that perhaps, you know, it's the science community has a role to play in that, but also the media as well, in terms of how um, people like myself as, as journalists present these issues, how we're talking about um ha- habitat loss you know rather than treating yeah. these as as separate issues you know in the environment pages in page 35 of of your weekly newspaper this stuff should be yeah. you know tied in with with economic news with with health news um you know maybe th- th- there's a kind of responsibility for different other other groups other stakeholders so to use that kind of language uh, as well
1: yeah when i i think the most important message is that uh, when we look at the perception of society, of the environmental movement, and, uh, that they believe that our interest is just protecting the forests and the national parks and maybe the quality of air in, uh, in urban areas. Mm. And that's not true. The, the interest of the environmental community is to see a healthy society that thrives. A society that, in economic and social and environmental terms, is living what we call quality quality of life mm. but, but uh, that needs that message needs to be delivered in a way that generates dialogue and not confrontation uh, I, I'm afraid that um, a, around the world. Many of the sectors and groups um, drive their message uh, as an attack, an attack to what is going on. And I think we have to be firm in our messages, for example, in relation to fossil fuels. Mm. But it also needs an understanding that that evolving into um, sustainable energy is a process is a process where we need the financial sector, for, for example. As long as the financial sector continues to fund uh, the investments in fossil fuels, we won't be able to, to make the change. So uh, when I see financial leaders speaking about sustainability and understanding that there needs to be a change and the, that the future cannot continue in the same way is the the last um the the last century i would say Mm. is is fantastic because you see that that change is possible but if for the moment in 2020 we don't have enough allies in the environmental community to make that change
0: yeah i i think that 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 point you make there about you know and which you've made previously about sustainability depending uh upon addressing conflict and and, you know having dialogue to sort of move beyond conflict that's an interesting paradigm to use because that works both on a kind of community level if you're thinking about a community divided about how it uses its forest resources but also perhaps on on a global sense as well where you have countries on with different trajectories some saying well for example Ecuador might say well why should we have to cut our carbon emissions you know we're a developing country and you know you know why should we have to shoulder this kind of carbon uh, offsetting burden which, which you know rich countries have been polluting for centuries uh, you know do do you, do you feel that you know that, that I mean, my worry, though, is that as as a result of this kind of crisis and we've seen how different countries have gone different ways and both China and the US have kind of been missing on the global stage uh, in terms of trying to help manage this crisis. Uh, do you feel like the potential for cooperation on, on both on issues like health, but also on climate change? Because obviously, it's linked. Do you do you feel that there's there's still going there to be appetite and, and space for that once the kind of... Um, once this, this sort of storm has passed?
1: I do. I do, Laurie. Uh, and basically because uh, there is um, a visible change of message, attitudes and calls from groups like the, the B Team, for example. Um, I'm a member of, that, you know, of the B Team, and, and therefore I follow every day's work of a wonderful group of leaders from around the world, who are trying to uh, change the agenda, and the, you see day by day the growth in uh, numbers of people who um, who can change who are changing and who have influence in their own sectors in their own countries and that is great to see mm. it 's also great to see how many leaders around the world and I just saw this morning, macron for example saying we have to think about the unthinkable. What we thought was absolutely uh, impossible in in a a few days or weeks before, uh, we are seeing now that um, uh, leaders of countries and leaders of sectors are ready to move on to a new level of discussion. Time to think the unthinkable is possible. We cannot go back to the business as usual, as many as many of us say. That would be a loss of opportunity, if you can think of opportunities coming out of this crisis. And, and uh, I see uh, within uh, my country, Ecuador, as well as in different forests around the world, a discussion that says, so what is going to be the the new normal what what is going to happen the day after are we ready to bet on that to invest invest on that and how much each one of us is going to um to contribute to that um to those new paradigms that we need to work where the the environment the environment is is valued in a different way, not as as some leaders are saying today that we need to be more flexible flexible on on environmental conditions, but on the contrary, how much serious thinking are we going to give um, to the environmental criteria, conditions, programs, and agenda so that we can guarantee that the next um, decades are going to be much more healthy than today. Mm. I very often, Laurie, I don't know if you follow um, the Global Footprint Network. I don't, know. Uh, that is a set of information that is so valuable and so little attention has been given to, to the work that they do um, by, by world leaders. The, the Global Footprint Network is telling us every year uh, how much the deterioration of ecosystems ah, is growing okay. and, and what we need to do to stop it. So that sort of message, the message of, of Greta and the hundreds of Gretas that I hope we, um, we will have in the next uh, weeks and months, are serious calls for uh, for change
0: certainly and 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 and, you know obviously uh the the kind of the current uh global economic infrastructure is is taking a massive hammering you know we're seeing uh perhaps the biggest hit to, to global gdp since the 1930s um i think ecuador's economy is supposed to contract by about six percent this year which you know is yeah. a is a lot and obviously the global oil industry is is kind of really hit by this and also a degree of of other problems as well um i i kind of wonder whether you think there's also space there for these kind of more systemic uh challenges you know uh we were thinking about that you know the the sort of donut model of of the economy, where you know the economy lives within certain parameters of of sustainability and well being, which some European cities are starting to adopt. Obviously, that there was that fairly influential for its time uh, model of buen vivir in 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 South America in particular, which which seems to have perhaps fallen back a bit, or, or perhaps been left by the wayside as governments carried on in a more extractivist way uh, you know i i wonder whether you you see space for for these kind of um bigger philosophical systemic kind of uh arguments coming to coming to the fore again or, or whether it's going to be more about th- this kind of granular detail of firm commitments and of working with with the existing actors
1: i i think that you have to be an optimist and i'm one of those um, otherwise if we, if we don't hope for change in the better future um, we we should not be where we are mm-hmm. and the, the opportunity and challenge that this crisis brings us is is exceptional is, is a fantastic opportunity to address a, a a crisis of today in dealing with a structural Um, disruptions that we have created in humanity, in all our societies. And and these um, systemic uh, risks uh, of our times must be addressed with better communication of scientific data uh, to to really invest in, uh, in research, but also invest in communicating information that comes out of this uh, research. I think that um, if there. If this is also an opportunity to, to build stronger linkages with other sectors uh, and countries, between countries, between societies, between groups, in my case, between NGOs, which I would say has been one of the highlights of the last two decades to see how much NGOs have come together, to work together, to be more efficient in, uh, in investing in uh, common agendas. Mm. So um, I think that, that should happen in all other sectors and should be stronger within all our communities. And then I would say that the most important challenge that we have, Laurie, is to build better linkages between what is biodiversity and ecosystems and climate change mm-hmm. uh, I still feel even though there, we have worked many years in building both agendas that we are artificially separating climate change and biodiversity loss mm-hmm. uh, when when the reality is that climate change is the result of um, degraded ecosystems and a a terrible approach to the wealth of biodiversity that this planet is giving us. We have forgotten to link the ecosystem services, for example, or the loss of ecosystem services with climate change. We think it's all uh, emissions and technology and carbon. the footprint and the, the need to pay for carbon emissions. No, 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 the, the, the discussion has to be more down-to-earth. As long as we degrade ecosystems, climate change will grow. Mm-hmm. If we don't invest in ecosystem restoration, there won't be a change in the quote-unquote behavior of the planet. Mm-hmm. And that is, it has to be a priority.
0: And and it, and it's fascinating, you know, that, that that new strand of, of of scientific thinking, that the sense that of, of the connectedness of 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 biodiversity, of, of the idea that both local and global climate systems are kind of intrinsically linked, um, you know, the, the, and that, because that's something which which in a way has has been argued f- for centuries uh, by many people around the world, you know, as you'll know. Better than me by by indigenous people in in Ecuador, for example, um, by people seeing the effects of lithium mining, for example, in 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 the lithium triangle, so called in in Chile, uh, Bolivia, and and uh, Argentina, in the Chaco in Paraguay and Bolivia and Argentina as well, in the Amazon, of course. People have been saying there for a long time. You know that, that this is kind of this is what gives us life, and if you if you take away this bit or you damaged it in this way, it's not just going to be us right here that are going to suffer from, from it. This is actually a, a, going to have global consequences, which we're only now beginning to, to understand. So it's kind of yeah. it's really fascinating to to see the science in in a way catch up with 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 those paradigms and those models and those philosophies which have, have been been there for, for well since since forever, really. Catching up
1: with reality.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely and, and 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 on that kind of point um i wanted to ask you know obviously ecuador is 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 kind of you know famous the world over for for the galapagos and and the incredible biodiversity there um which i'm sure kind of brings brings its own problems that uh, tourism uh, you know connected to that but i was wondering you know when once this is over or assuming this this is over at some point soon and and, and you're able to to get back out there and and engage with you know um people you've worked with in in the country in, in ecuador where are you kind of you know where are you looking for, looking forward to going to and visiting or, or perhaps where previously have you know have you experienced um you know that real sense of kind of wonder and and you know um or from from nature in in ecuador
1: um when... I have two favorite ecosystems in my country, and that is the tropical forest of mm-hmm. the Amazon and the Chocó, as well as Galapagos. Mm-hmm. I think both ecosystems give you a very strong, punchy message that we humans are just one more species, and that as long as uh, it, it, that, if we don't look after the ecosystems and the species in those ecosystems, we won't be able to um, to save or to guarantee a healthy life for the human society. What I do think it's terribly important for Ecuador at this moment is to rethink what um, tourism and ecotourism means. Mm. Uh, because it's so important for Ecuador, Uh, the the tourism industry, both for Galapagos and for the forest and the rest of the country. We only know at this moment that we cannot continue to lead the same trends and uh, to continue with the same pattern of tourism that we have had up to now. I, I have always criticized that Galapagos has something like 200 visitors per annum at this moment when in my opinion, I, it should be probably a third of that. Right. Now, otherwise, the the impact of tourism is an impact on on the basis that sustains um, that industry. In the same thing happens um, with with the Amazon, and of course, rethinking the extractive industry. Mm. Uh, I, I think that is probably one of the main challenges because. It's not only going, affecting already and going to destroy the basis of development in Ecuador, but all over Latin America and South America. Mm-hmm. What we see at this moment is an aggression against life, against ecosystems, against biodiversity, against the balance of life that. In, in 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 a lack of balance that is reflected in the crisis we are living today with COVID nineteen. Of course. And unless we change those patterns, the next the next um, crisis is just around the corner.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, do you see a shift in in uh, with regards to the environmental model, with regards to that extractivist model? Um, you know going on in ecuador i i I think i'm right in saying that deforestation has been halved in the past 20 years um but i wonder whether you think obviously prior to this crisis whether the the new government of lenin moreno which obviously she mentioned is kind of uh fallen out quite badly with with his predecessor rafael correa whether you whether you see lenin's government sort of you know improving that, that situation or, or, or kind of perhaps in, you know doubling down on that on that dependency or, or that reliance let's say on, on you know the fossil fuel sector and, and, and that kind of thing
1: yeah unfortunately um not everybody in the government um, coincides with the importance about the long medium and long-term vision many um, actors are Short-sighted and looking after immediate income, um, that in a way you understand because we have to deal with an economic crisis. Uh, so the the answer maybe to this is being much more creative in uh, proposing new models, uh, new new industries. Close and uh, quote and unquote. A new forms of economic development. I think agriculture provides lots of space for being creative, and this is an agricultural country that has probably forgotten, um, like Venezuela did, the wealth uh, of opportunities for agriculture uh, when when that is the real potential. Mm. Not, not oil. Uh, the the ecosystems, the biodiversity, the investment in uh, science and research in biodiversity, the bioeconomy mm. has a lot of potential, and that is not being addressed enough. And, and, and I hope that this crisis uh, raises the profile of those activities uh, and investments uh, as, as an alternative for Ecuador.
0: I mean, that, that's fascinating and 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 you know i on the point you make about that potential for agriculture and 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 not monoculture or plantation economies uh, uh, you know as, as we've kind of seen elsewhere i think i'm right in yeah. saying saying that you know archaeologists and researchers have found that have actually found that ecuador was the was at least a source of um crop domestication and sort of early um you know a- agricultural diversity in 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 south america going back
1: Absolutely. thousands Absolutely. and thousands
0: of years um you know uh, ecuador in some respects you know the ecuadorian amazon was a kind of a sort of motor for that for that incredible um you know biodiversity that with that we see around the amazon today you know the the, the remains of those um you know fruit trees right. of, yeah so, so, it's, so it's so it'd be fascinating to to to, to delve into that kind of potential more in the future. And again, that's something which, of course, indigenous peoples are are, are saying um, and have been saying for a long time. Um, The the
1: resurgence of of, uh, that agricultural diversity of medium and small size mm -hmm. would be an enormous potential for the country. And we see now during these weeks of the crisis, how much of a difference does the small and medium agriculture uh, sector uh, provide uh security and and food to to all the families in small and large towns in Ecuador who thought they wouldn't have food provision the, the food security of these last four weeks has been guaranteed by the small and medium agricultural sector
0: of course and 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 you know I think that conversation and and that realization is is happening around the world you know here in the u k uh suddenly there's a, there's people that are beginning to think a bit more about food security the fact that half of our food is is imported and and the fact that we've kind of perhaps um you know depend over, over much on these quite uh ecologically damaging and 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 kind of quite fragile supply chains um and 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 just just sort of finally you know uh obviously the the current crisis you know uh is limiting Um, everyone's movements and limiting the kind of horizon in terms of, you know, what's around the corner. But what do the coming kind of weeks and months hold for you in terms of your work? You know, what, what, what are you kind of hoping to be able to to do uh, even if, you know, from, from, from lockdown?
1: Well, I haven't stopped working at all, Laurie, on the contrary, The work has increased because Hmm. in addition to the normal agenda, uh, some issues related to Ecuador itself and to providing responses to, um, to going back uh, or providing uh, conditions for the economic sectors to start working again. That has also been part of, uh, of my interest in agenda and dialogue with other actors in Ecuador. So work has continued. Maybe what is important for me is the reflection that many of the meetings for which I traveled a lot are not necessary? The meetings are necessary, but the travel is not. Mm. But I have found, and many of, my, of the colleagues with whom I work around the world, we have all found that we can address the same agendas, that we can move on. In the evolution of the topics that we address in the in the work we do without having to travel and do it from home, so that is an important finding that I think we are all going to be thankful for uh, and that that should lead us into evaluating how much of the meetings uh, and travel are necessary for the future. Uh, using uh, communication technologies has become key to, mm. to uh, all our agendas, all our work agendas, but also the reflections of how much we have to link environmental agendas to economic development, to the financial sector, to the agricultural sector, to investments on restoration of degraded lands, to the importance of recognizing that Um, there is a system in this planet and that that system has to be respected and the moment that you break uh, uh, one of the parts of this chain of life, it has an impact uh, somewhere else
0: Yolanda Kakabatsi, thank you very much for for your time and and, um, best of luck with your work moving forward
1: thank you so much to you Laurie
0: Thank you, Laurie and Yolanda, for that fascinating look at Ecuador's battle against the pandemic and the ecological future of Latin America. It's always nice to hear an optimist take on what can be a demoralizing subject at times. Uh, next week, we'll be featuring an interview with New York-based political scientist Camila Vergara, looking at her work on populism and constitutions in the context of Chile and across the region. Uh, Once more, we'd like to thank Diego Complido for our logo and La Motivante for our music. Uh, More about their work can be found on our website. And please do get in touch with us on social media at MiradasPod or info at miradaspodcast.com if you'd be interested in sharing some longer reflections or perhaps even sponsoring the podcast. Until next time, it's goodbye from myself and from Laurie.